Praise the Lord, everybody. He alone is worthy. Good evening. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Let us just give a uh, hand clap to the Lord this evening. I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ and welcome you to our Wednesday evening Bible study. I want to welcome those and greet those online, our members online. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We are here this evening to continue worshiping God, calling upon his name, and be true disciples. Amen? Amen. Before we start praying, um, I just want to point out, this, this week, our, uh, the theme for our prayer is the mission of a disciple. As most of you know who log on early in the morning, the mission of a disciple. And we have several scriptures, but just one scripture here I would like to just bring to your attention again. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But he shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And he shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So we are witnesses. We are, we, we are disciple makers. Our job is to go out According to the Bible, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Jerusalem, we are supposed to reach our closest people. The closest people that are, uh, you, you know, we associate with daily, our family. We, we should reach them. No point in trying to reach those all the way down, downtown when you can't reach the people close to you. Amen? Amen. So then you reach those unbelievers, those that are a little further off, you reach them. You, 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 know, you plan your strategy and reach them. Just make sure your strategy is from the Bible or nothing else will work. Amen? Amen. Then those in Samaria, those are the ones that you probably give up on. You see them and say, oh, no, nothing is going to happen for them. But it's not you going to do it. That's why God gave you power. To reach them. So you're going to reach those who look like they cannot be reached. Because it's not actually you. You're doing the work. But God is reaching whoever he needs to reach. Amen? Amen. So just bear that in mind when we um, pray. When we... It should be something in our hearts every day. To reach the lost. You should look at others like souls to be reached. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let us pray. Let us just ask God to be in the midst of this service. We're going to ask him to saturate this service. Because um, when we leave here, we want to continue being witnesses. We want to just shine that light outside. Nobody... Um, gets a light going, a flashlight, and you hide it, right? So you walk with a flashlight, it, it shows you where you are to go, and people look at that light, 
and, and come to that light because that light will enable them to see. Amen? So we are going to be here. We are going to hear from the man of God tonight. And we're going to just pray that God will continue to use him to train us so we will go out and do the work. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your Lord, you're our King. You are the God that we serve. The Lord God from heaven. The King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the omnipotent God. The omniscient God. Lord Jesus, you know everything. All powers belong to you. And you are everywhere at the same time. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you because there is none like you. You made us and not we ourselves. We are your children and we are the sheep of your pastor. Lord Jesus, this afternoon we came to worship you and we came humbly before you to say, Lord Jesus, touch our hearts this evening because we want our will to be your will, Lord Jesus. We came prepared, O oh God, to do your will, to do the things that are right and pleasing in your sight, Lord Jesus. I pray this afternoon that you would touch each and every one of us here that is present before you, those online, every household that is represented this evening, Lord Jesus. I pray, O oh God, that you be in the midst of them, Lord Jesus. I pray, O oh God, that we will look at others as souls, O oh God, to be one to you, Lord Jesus. If your goodness is so good to us, O oh God, we should have that desire, that burden to reach out to others, Lord Jesus. We praise you this evening, Lord Jesus. We lift you up, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, let us not forget, O oh God, our mission that we came here, O oh God, into a bigger facility, but it is so that we can reach more people to bring them in the kingdom, O oh God, so they can hear what we have heard and what has transformed our lives, Lord Jesus. Touch every heart before us, O oh God. Lord Jesus, touch the praise singer. Lord, touch the musicians. Lord, I pray that you touch all those who labor in the Lord, O oh God. Strengthen them, O oh God, because the devil desires to sift them like wheat, O oh God. But Lord Jesus, touch them, O oh God. Cover them this afternoon, Lord Jesus. The man of God that will come forth with the word, O oh God, I pray that you would touch him, O oh God, and continue to use him as an oracle. Use him to deliver your word. Lord Jesus, saturate this atmosphere tonight with your Holy Spirit, O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, O oh God. Thank you for the privilege to be here to call upon your name, Lord Jesus, and pray without persecution. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We praise you, and we say thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Come on and put your hands together tonight.
you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome and power. Our God. Our
Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. I don't know what all the other gods are doing. Because I know all the other gods are idols. But our God is the greatest. Our our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing to compare our God to. He's the true and living God. He's the only wise God. And we're thankful that we know him. His name is Jesus. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Another Wednesday night. It's good to see all of you. Amen. I always look forward to being with the saints of God uh, in any capacity. And so it's always wonderful to be with you. Um, Just a quick way of announcement. We have a men's retreat uh, September 8th and 9th. Uh, It's the North Central Jersey District hosting men's retreat. It's a Friday uh, evening and a Saturday morning and afternoon, and I believe everything is all over, uh, maybe 1 p.m. Saturday. Uh, I think it's something very important uh, that we need to uh, attend. Um, A young man asked last night, I was talking to a young man, he asked me, last night, what does it mean to live for God hard and to live for God easy? I said, living for God easy means you kind of decide when to attend church services. Uh, Living for God easy means when I come to church, if I feel like it, I'll go to the altar. If I don't feel like it, I'll just stand where I am. Living for God easy means I can decide what I should and what I shouldn't do depending on my schedule. Living for God easy means I don't have a routine developed in my life of spiritual discipline that I practice regularly. That's living for God easy. When you live for God easy, it comes down to you making choices and decisions, what you think you should and what you think you shouldn't do. That's living for God easy. Living for God hard means I am going to do everything I possibly can that God says I need to do. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to make a decision about this week or next week. It is just what I am and what I'm going to do. So don't ask me about, will will I be in church Sunday? Even if I'm not in my local church on the Sunday, I'm in another church someplace else. Just Sunday, I'm going to be in church unless I'm on vacation. That's living for God hard. Living for God hard, I don't feel like going to the altar today, but I'm going to go anyway. Living for God hard, I don't feel like praising tonight, but I'm going to praise anyway. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so these are some of the the things you need to think about when we we think about living for God hard or living for God easy, which brings me back to the statement, if you live for God easy, it will be hard. But if you live for God hard, it will be easy. Decisions make your life more challenging. You want to hear something interesting? I've spoken to people that were incarcerated 
And believe it or not, sometimes why people get tripped up, because people could be incarcerated, and they attend Bible class, and they get a routine going in their life, and they do fine. But what happens a lot of times is they, they're used to and they're accustomed to just what they do every day. They know they have to wake up at a certain time because they're told you got to wake up this time. And they develop a certain routine while they're incarcerated because that's what they have to do. And then they come out. And now they're not forced to do anything because now they can do whatever they want. Choice. And because they can do whatever they want now, life becomes more difficult. And I've heard this personally. Man, when I was on the inside, it was a whole lot easier. And a lot of us, we have our freedom. We, yeah, you know, they locked up. But there are people that's locked up that feels like I flow better in God and in my regular routine life when I was incarcerated than when I came out. Because choices is what make everything hard. This is why it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven. Because when you're rich, you have more choice than everybody else. Or more choices than everybody That's why it's hard. Because when you can do whatever you want, and you can make a decision to do whatever you want, life becomes difficult. But when you have made a decision to say, I'm not, I don't need no choice. Whatever God says, that's all I'm doing. That's easy. That's easy. Don't ask me about Sunday. Don't ask me about prayer meeting. Don't ask me about reading my Bible. Don't ask me about praying. Don't ask me about being a witness. Don't ask me about any of that because it's just who I am and what I will do. Living for God hard will be easy. But living for God easy becomes hard. Which made me look to a scripture that might be a little bit different from what I'm saying. But, you know, there's a lot of things I think about that comes to mind and, you know, just in interacting. And this stuck out to me because I'm thinking about this a lot lately. This is not even a part of the teaching tonight, but I want to share this with you real quick. In John chapter 6, verse number 60, John chapter 6, number 60. The scripture says, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And you've been hearing me talking about this because I believe it's, it's significantly important. Many people, including Christians, whenever you encounter a, a, a direction or a statement that is very or seems very difficult, you shut down and you don't pursue doing it because in your mind, man, that's ridiculous. And if you want to go read all of that, you can go read it on your own. Jesus had told them, you know, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he was referring to, you know, communion. And, and, but he was trying to get them to understand the cost of discipleship, of following him. And when he said that, they said, and that's a hard saying right there. Who in the world can do that? And I'm trying to help this congregation to understand this. Whenever you read something in the scripture that seems like it's impossible, 
or you read something or you hear me preach something from the Bible that seems impossible, just remember this. With man, it might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He's not telling us something that seems impossible to do that we cannot do. So if we're going to grow in Christ, please do yourself a favor. When you hear a hard teaching or preaching that I take from the Bible, don't turn it off, don't shut down, and don't not try to practice it. Don't go saying to yourself, man, that's not what God really meant. Because God means what he says, and he says what he, mean, what he means. So let's not say, well, it didn't really mean that. No, it's just hard. And everything about God is not easy. Some of it is hard. But isn't that life, though? Everything in life is not easy. So why we think living for God, everything is easy? <laughs> All right. Let's go into our study. I think I'm going to finish up tonight uh, what we started um, teaching about last week. And so let's go there and let's get it done. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Uh, we'll read verse 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So let's look at the reverse. If we don't love, all right, I didn't say it. The word said it and you said it. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we, might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man had seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. And so remember last week I started talking about when love takes over. And if you want to uh, be technical about it, you can say when God takes over. If you were really following me, you know, sometimes I got to spill it all the way out. But if you're paying attention, God is love. And so when we say when love takes over, uh, we can also say when God takes over. And so we want to talk a little bit more tonight about when love takes over, when, when love is ruling in our life, when love is ruling our actions, it changes things. But if we continue to be the one that's controlling how we go about doing things, uh, we will hurt one another oftentimes than we want to because we just can't help ourselves because we're selfish people. The nature of sin is selfish. So 
when we, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first sin in the garden, they passed on a nature of sin unto every human that were born after that. Which means every human have a sinful nature, which means every human have a nature of just self. Yep, selfish. About me, me, me. And the only way we can overcome that is if we let love take over. Because if we run our lives, we're going to hurt one another more often than not. We just will. We're selfish people by nature. But if God takes over in our life, then we will show love and we will encourage and build up one another often more than we will hurt. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the assembling of the body of Christ. I pray, Father, that all that transpire here for the remainder of this evening that you will be in control in every way, in what I say tonight, and in the heart of every one of us. We just don't want to be hearers of your word, Lord Jesus, but we want to hear what the Spirit is saying, and we want to have knowledge and understanding of the word of God, and we want to apply the word of God. Will you give us the wisdom that by the time we leave here tonight, Lord, our lives will be better off. Our, our actions will change because the word of God will have affected us in such a way that we will apply the word of God and let it take action in our lives. Speak to us tonight, Lord. Let your will be done if you will, Lord Jesus. Help us, almighty God, and let the power of the Spirit do wonderful and miraculous things. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I said some of the things that I said to make the first statement in the study that I made last week because I feel strongly. Uh, understand this. When someone stands up here and they're not just standing in their flesh, but they're allowing the Spirit of God to help them, when they stand in this pulpit, this sacred area, and allow the Spirit of God to help them, they can tell the different things that's transpiring within the congregation. You might not know that, so I'm letting the secret out the bag. And so, last week when I share this, and oftentimes when I share what I'm getting ready to say, a lot of people aren't satisfied. A lot of people start rationale or rationalize in their mind something different than what the scripture is saying because it's not something that's palatable immediately. Because anything that is not common to us is not palatable to us, so we kind of take our time in receiving it. You know, it's no different than somebody trying to give you something to taste and it doesn't look too good. You're like, eh, I'm good, I don't want to try that. No. And then, come on, try it. No, it don't look that good. Come on. And that's what we do a lot of times with the Word of God. Again, that's living for God easy. Because living for God hard means... I trust God in everything. If his word says it, I'm taking it. But some of us are challenged. So let me go ahead and say it. There is a difference between the love us humans understands and demonstrates and the love of God. Yeah, same thing like last week. There is a difference between the love us humans understand and demonstrate 
and the love of God. It's clear in Scripture that it's, the Scripture says, He first loved us. How many sinners you know understand that God loved us first? And the only reason why we would know God is when we know God. No love is when we know God. Who do you know that's unsaved understands that? Well, such was some of us. So the love that we were carrying on with and we were telling people, oh, you know, I love you. It was different from the love that God wanted us to have and to display. Okay. Human love, as I said last week, is affectionate regard. When you say you love somebody, you touchy-feely with them. You have goodwill towards them because you love them. Benevolence. You want to do good things to them. You want to do good stuff for them. And then when you say you love somebody, you tell me who you know. Love somebody, but they don't have a common interest with that person. Let's look around. How many people you know claim they really love somebody, somebody that they have no common interest with? Because most of the times when we say we love somebody, it's because we have a common interest with that individual. So our love that we understand and the love of God is different. And we need to come to grips with that. This is why I'm saying it very slow because we have not come to grips with it. And maybe some of you can come and talk to me after service and ask me, what you're thinking in your mind, because some of you might have some thoughts in your mind as to what I'm saying. Come talk to me after church or whenever you can. We can go over it. But the bottom line is our love that we understand and know is different from God's love. And if you study word, the word of God, if you study just love in general, you will get to see there's a love that's called agape, and it's not like any other love. Just say it. The love of God is his will, his willful direction toward man's benefit. Love, watch this, is about you willing yourself. Love is about you willing yourself. Oh, I don't feel like it. You will yourself. Love has nothing to do with if I feel like it or I don't feel like it. If I'm going to love the way God say love, then even when I don't feel like it, I got to show it. I got to demonstrate it. That's real love. That's agape love. That's the love of God. But how many people you know do that? If they don't feel like it, eh, they know I love them. I wonder what would have happened when God, if God would have just said, got up from the garden and says, I don't feel like it today. I love him, but I just don't feel like it right now. What do you think would have happened? If when he had to go to the cross and he was battling in prayer, if he would have just got up and said, I just don't feel like it. So we know love is not about a feeling, the love that God is talking about. The love that we think about is about a feeling. 
common interest, benevolence, doing something for somebody. God's love does not necessarily have to do with feelings or emotions. It involves the Lord doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. God is the source of his love because he is love. His love is a direction of his will toward man's benefit. And guess what? And he finds joy in doing it. Did you know there was a scripture in the Bible that says, don't keep my commandments grievously? Did you know that? So some of us sometimes obey the word of God and God is like, really? Because we're doing it like we just drank lemon juice or a shot of white rum. Y'all don't know the white rum, the 100 proof white rum in Jamaica. Nobody drinks that and keep a straight face. Nobody. Nobody that I know. The professionals that I know drank rum, they drank it and they got to make a face. Oops. I don't even know why they drink it if they got to make a face. <laughs> but some of us are obeying God's commandment and we're doing it, making faces, almost like it's bitter. And we're not doing it joyfully. But when you're demonstrating the love of God, you're supposed to do it, we're supposed to do it with joy. The love of God is not simply a doctrine in the Bible. It is an eternal fact clearly demonstrated at Calvary. We're not merely students reading a book or spectators watching a deeply moving event. We are participants in the great drama of the love of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not just reading the Bible to learn. We're not just reading the Bible to get head knowledge. We're just not reading the Bible to say we know something. We are reading the Bible to be a participator in what God is doing in the earth. I just met with a couple just now and I was telling them, if you are a part of this church and you just want to chill, you won't come to church a lot and you probably won't stay a long time because the preaching will always challenge you to not just be chilling. Mm-hmm. It just, just won't, you know, I won't, I, I won't be just, you know, giving you the preaching, you know, the singing preaching and make, you know, God's been good. Oh, yes, indeed. And, and just keep telling you all of the good stuff and exempt the, 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 the hard sayings that the Bible says. When you read 1 John, Chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, you will discover what God had in mind when he created us and established his great plan of salvation. Follow me in this so you can see something. Watch the pattern of God. Watch how God does things. This is probably the thing that I enjoy the most about reading the Bible and living for God is trying to learn God's principles, try to learn his nature, his character. I like to study God. That's what gets me going 
about living for God is to try to learn him. That's kind of probably my personality because I do that in every way. I try to learn because in my mind, if I'm going to please you, I got to know what you like and don't like. Come on, help me somebody. If I'm going to make you happy, I got to know what you like and what you don't like. So I'm a big proponent. I'm a very big believer in studying people. And it starts with the Lord since I've come to know who the Lord is. But watch how the Lord does things. He always desired to have a relationship with us. And we messed up right out the gate by sinning. And so we had to put a plan in motion to save us. Watch this. To begin with God's desire is to live. God's desire, let me say it this way. God's desire from the very beginning was so he can live in us. What the the old timers like to say, he stick closer than a brother. A brother can be close to you, but a brother can't be in you. Your sister can be close to you, but she can't be in you. And God, from the very beginning, he just didn't want to be among us. He wanted to be in us. This is why, for the life of me, I don't know why people don't realize the significance of having the Holy Spirit with speaking with other tongues as the evidence that I have the Holy Spirit. We all should be proud to say, I have the Holy Spirit, or begin to say, I don't have the Holy Spirit, but I want the Holy Spirit because it means God is in me, and I am excited that God can be that close to me. That should be something that gets us excited. God is in me. He is just that close to me. We should be excited about that. And so in the beginning, God had fellowship with man in a personal, direct way, but sin broke that fellowship. Therefore, it was necessary for God to shed his blood. I'm sorry. It was necessary for God to shed the blood of animals to cover the sins of Adam and Eve so that they might come back into fellowship with him. So watch from the very beginning what God is saying. I just want to be close to you all. From the very beginning, all God wanted to be is close to us. His very own creation. He made us into his image. He made us to be in fellowship with him because nothing else can be in fellowship with God but us. Only like-minded people can be in fellowship. And so God made us in his image and make us like-minded as him so he can have fellowship with us. That's what he intended from the very beginning. But we kept on putting the wedge between us and him. And so Adam and Eve was the first ones. He was having real, direct, intimate relationship with them, and then they sinned. And when they sinned, now here we go, he had to shed blood of the animals to cover their sins. One of the key words in the book of Genesis is the word walked. God walked with men and men walked with God. Enoch, Noah, Abraham all walked with God. But by the time of the events recorded in Exodus, a change had taken place. God did not simply just walk with men. He dwelt among them. God's commandment to Israel was... And let them make me a sanctuary. 
that I may dwell among them. That's Exodus 25 and 8. The first of those sanctuaries was the tabernacle. When Moses dedicated it, the glory of God came down and moved in the tent. Again, God wanted to be close with us from Adam and Eve. They messed it up. But God shed blood to get them back into right relationship. God was walking with man so man and God can be close. But God said, let me take it a step better. Let me start dwelling in the midst of them and let them see how badly I want to be close to them. God dwelt in the camp, but he did not dwell in people. Unfortunately, the nation sinned and God's glory departed. But God used Samuel and David to restore the nation and Solomon built God a magnificent temple. Mm -hmm. When the temple was dedicated, once again the glory of God came to dwell in the midst of the people in the land. But history repeated itself and Israel disobeyed God and was taken into captivity. The Gorgeous temple was destroyed. One of the prophets of captivity was Ezekiel. He saw the glory of God depart because they sinned against God. Sin pushes us away from God. It, it, it moves us away from God. Yes, it does. Did the glory ever return after it departed back then? Yes. The glory returned when God was manifested in the flesh as the man Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and tabernacle dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. But guess what? Even though the glory was moving around in the man Christ Jesus, sinful men nailed him to the cross crucified him even though it was the plan of God they still always doing something to get rid of the glory of God whether we understand it or we don't we we don't realize that we're doing things to, to to not embrace the glory of God when all God wants to do is be with us all this was part of the Lord's thrilling plan when he gave his life to 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 to, to be crucified and Jesus Christ even though he was crucified and he they killed him guess what he rose from the dead and guess what he returned to heaven and now he has sent his spirit to dwell in man the glory of God now lives in the children of God who are born again of the water and of the spirit and so God go through all this stuff, all to get us to have him dwelling in us so his glory can remain in the earth. Church, are you understanding this? That God is glad that you are saved if you're saved. But he want to save everybody. Can we understand that? That the loving God that we serve, the one that went to the cross and died for us, that we may be saved now, but we got to fight against selfishness. 
We've got to fight against our flesh and let the Spirit of God take over because God's desire is that all be saved and that none should perish. And so all that he's working is so his glory will remain in the earth and we as people are chosen to carry the glory. God in us, the hope of glory. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you're walking around with the glory of God in you. All you have to do is submit to the rulership. What we say, we, we want the Holy Ghost not just to be in us, but we want the Holy Ghost to have us. Many Christians are walking around with the Holy Ghost in them, but the Holy Ghost don't have them. Whenever you do what you want, Holy Ghost don't have you. You might have the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost don't have you. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Let's acknowledge that's another hard saying. Come on. I'm trying to help you all get somewhere. That's another hard saying in the Bible. Let's begin to live for God and make notations of the hard sayings of the Bible till the point where we're keeping notes of them so we know what they are so we can make sure we're doing them. And one of the hard sayings in the Bible is once you have been born again, You are no longer your own. You belong to Christ. And what he wants is what you ought to do. I ought to do. Not what we want to do. Many of us don't realize the death, what it means. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus' death was this. I'm going to die so you can live like I would live if I was living. You get that? Jesus' death represents him saying, all right, Wayne, with all the sin you committed, bro, you need to die and go to hell. But I love you, and I'm going to make a way for you not to have to die and go to hell, Wayne. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to die instead of you dying. So instead of you dying and going to hell, I'm going to die. This is why we got the scripture that talked about he went and took the keys and all that stuff, because he, he died and, and, and went where we should have went. And so he's saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to do that in your place. However, the caveat is this, but you can't just live any kind of way you want. That's why he has his preachers, because in my mind I'm thinking, I wish God would just lay that out to every one of us. But that's why he got preachers, that we all understand that when you decide to get saved, What you are saying is, God, I recognize that by me getting saved, I am receiving what you have done for me. And now I have to live my life to please you and not do whatever I want to do. So every born again believer should not do whatever they want. We should only be doing what Jesus says to do. Because it's a hard saying. But it's okay. If he says it, with God, all things are possible. 
So I want you to understand that with God, all things are possible. So don't worry that, man, that's a hard saying. What's up with that, God? God wouldn't give us commandments and instructions and direction if we could not fulfill them. He is not an unjust God. He is a loving, kind God. He will not ask you to do something you cannot do. For ye, verse 20, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The glory of God departed from the tabernacle and the temple when Israel disobeyed God, but Jesus has promised that his spirit will abide in us forever. So with everything that transpired, God had fellowship with Adam. He walked with them back in the day. Guess what? After that, he says, no, I'm just going to dwell in the midst of you when you... Put that tabernacle up. I'm going to be in the midst of you. My presence will be in the midst of you. But that's not enough. The ultimate goal for the Lord was that we will have him living in us. That's his ultimate destination in this earth. And so because of that, what he's saying is when I give you my spirit, I will never take it back. When you sinned in the garden... I, guess what? I drove you out of the garden because you sinned against me. When, when you sinned, when I was dwelling in the tabernacle in the land, guess what? My presence left you. But now that I've died and rose and I went to heaven and sit on the throne, I've sent back my spirit and now you can have me dwelling in you. And when you mess up, I don't have to be gone anywhere. All you got to do is repent and I'm right there with you. No other generation in time had that privilege of having the Spirit of God dwelling in them that no matter what you do, you still had the comforter in you. You still had him right there to help you get right. It should be a travesty that God is in us and we mess up and we don't realize we can get right with God right away. We don't have to wait till next week. We don't have to go to the Catholic Church. We don't have to go to the Pope. We don't have to go to the priests. All we got to do it says God is in me and all I have to do is recognize my wrong which I know I can recognize because with God in you when you sin you know you sin all you gotta say is God I've sinned against you but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world when you sin against God his scripture says if you confess your sins I'm faithful and I'm just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we not allowing God to take control, it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. Everything to do with us. Everything to do with us. And we need to own that. We need to own that. Say, God is in me. I didn't say that we're going to be perfect. All I'm saying is look where we are, Sister Cook. When they sinned against God, when he, his glory would come into the land in the tabernacle, the glory left them. So they was in church with no glory. If you want to look at it from that perspective. They was having church, no glory. Because they were sinning so much that God says, I can't even mess with that. I'm out of here. And so they were stuck in a tabernacle talking about, oh God, oh God. No presence of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They ran away and God says, well, I'm going to kick you out of the garden anyway. But we, we had God's spirit in us. And when we sinned, God didn't run nowhere. 
God didn't go nowhere when you sin. What you ought to do is just repent, but be sincere about it. We can't just be repenting and just go do it all over again the next minute. Because repentance means turning around. Yes? Somebody help me this evening. With this background, we can better understand what 1 John 4 and 12 Verse 12 through 16 is saying to us, no man can see the essence of the invisible God, but he made himself, I don't know if this is a word, but I, got, I came up with this word. He made himself seeable as the man Jesus Christ. So you can't see the essence of God, the spirit, but when he manifested himself as human, he made himself seeable that you can see him tangibly. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By becoming human, the Lord demonstrated love to us. God is love. And so we know God is love. And we read that God is love, but we really never saw love demonstrated. But when God became man, love was demonstrated. It wasn't just now something you read. It wasn't just now something you heard. It wasn't just a concept. But now it was demonstration when God became man. You was watching love, how love worked and functioned. So Jesus Christ is love because he is God. And so when he revealed himself as man and did everything that he did, you was watching love in action. Okay. So watch this. Here's the rub. Jesus is no longer here on the earth visibly. But do we still want to save people? Jesus is no longer on the earth visibly. Does he still want to save people? How do you think he planned to do that? <laughs> How then does Jesus reveal love to the world? He reveals love through the lives of his children. Uh huh. Men cannot see the Lord physically, but they can see us. And if we become the embodiment of the love of God, then people will get to see love in action. We all supposed to be little baby Jesuses running around so people can see what they saw in Christ. We don't have to go to the cross, but we can be like him. We can represent him in the earth. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're made in his image. And so when we walk around here and demonstrate the love of God, people get to get a concept of who God is. I really believe the rapture hasn't come yet because we're slow to catch on to what God is trying to do. God's love must be experienced in us, then expressed through us. I'll say it again. God's love must be experienced in us, then expressed through us. So the problem we might be having is we have love in us, but we're not experiencing love because we're not allowing love to have control in us. We might have love in us, but if we don't allow love to work in us, we cannot express 
love. So we have to ask ourselves tonight, oh, if I had the Spirit of God dwelling in me, I want to know, am I expressing the love that's in me, or I'm just like everybody else that don't have the Spirit? If we have the Spirit, people need to see you differently from everybody else if you have the Spirit of God. There is no way I have the Holy Ghost and somebody out there don't have the Holy Ghost and they are no different from me. They don't have love in them. I got love in me. You got love in you. How can they be better in expressing love than I can when I have love in me? I know these are hard sayings, but write them down because they're the word of God. And as I like to tell you in this church, I don't come out of the book because I'm not that capable. I'm not that good to come out of the book and give you some intellectual thing. That ain't me. There are preachers that can do that. That's not me. I'm the book guy. Give me the book. God has given me revelation in his word so I can see it in a more in-depth way. But I'm not the guy that's going to give you some intellectual dissertation. I can't do that for you. Maybe, you know, somebody else can, but I can't. The word abide. Or dwell is used six times in 1 John 4, 12 through 16. It refers to our personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. To abide in Christ means to remain in spiritual oneness with him. So that no sin comes between you and him. When we're born again of the water and of the spirit, we enter into union with Christ but it is only as we trust him and obey him his com- and obey his commandments that we will have communion with him so it's the same thing I'm telling you many of us have the holy ghost but the holy ghost don't have us that's a fact there are times where I don't allow the holy ghost to have me so let me just put it like that so we all know we all on the same footing All of us who have the Holy Ghost have the Holy Ghost. But what happens is some of us allow the Holy Ghost to have us most of the times or more of the times than others. So we we, we who have the Spirit, we have the Spirit of God in us, but we need to make the Spirit of God have us. We need to let him be the host and not the guest. Mm-hmm. 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 Much... With our relationship with God, we can look at how a husband and wife relationship could be. So, husband and wife love each other, and they live together. But if the husband is at work and the wife is at work, they're not together. But they're still in union, one. Because when you get married, you become one in Christ. You're one. Right. And so you're one in direction, but you're separated sometimes because you're in different places. But it doesn't mean you're not unified. And so with us being Christians, we're supposed to always be one with the Lord. It does not mean all the time that we're in. uh, uh, What's the best way to say it? it doesn't mean that we are in a place where, you know, we're doing the same thing at the same time always because God has given you to do this and me to do this. Remember it says the body is one, but it have different members and the different members do different things in the body. So you can be unified but still be doing different things. 
And we see that in a marriage where you can be one but be doing different things. God, God's love is proclaimed in the word of God and proved at the cross. So, how do we prove our love? If God proved his love, shouldn't we prove our love? And remember, I said love is not about benevolence. It's not about affection. It's not about having stuff in common. It's about willing yourself to do what is needed, what is beneficial to the person who you say you love, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. So our question will always be, how do we prove to God that we love him? He loved us, and he proved it to us by going to Calvary. I have said this many times that I was having a conversation at work the other day, at work, and, and, and I was talking to someone, and I was saying, a lot of Christians like to say, I love God without thinking. And I have come to the, the, the understanding, my understanding, this is not biblical now, and if it is, God got to show me in the word, but I've come to the place of understanding, the people that say I love God, they're doing they're saying the love that they have for God is the love that they're talking about is the human love, not the love God is talking about. Because when they say I love God, it's easy to say I love God. Why? Because he loved them, and guess what? He is doing what's good for them. So it's easy to tell somebody you love them when they're doing something for you. So everybody can say I love God. That don't mean you love God. Because God is good to you. God is blessing you. You know God went to the cross for you. So it's no, it's no issue to just say, God, I love you. But do you love him? It's easy to say you love somebody that do everything for you. It's easy to say you love somebody that takes care of you. It's easy to say that. The question is, how do you prove to that person you love them? That's the question we, God has for us. How, do we, how can we prove to God we love him? What benefits God? Uh-huh. What benefits God? What benefits God is that we reveal love. What benefits God is that we lead somebody to salvation. What benefits God is when we do something to advance his kingdom. That's when we can start saying, I love God. But just coming to church and reading our Bible, you know, and do the things that we like to do, that don't mean really we love God. It's easy to say we love God because God loves us. But when we say we love God, the question is, what are you talking about? Are you talking about, man, God is just good? It's best we just leave it at that. God is so good. But we don't need to get into the area of I love God. God's love is perfected in the believer as the believer begins to know God. Fantastic as it may seem, God's love is not made perfect in angels, but is made perfect in sinners saved by his grace. God's love cannot be perfected no place else but in us. We Christians are not the tabernacles. We Christians are now the tabernacles and temples in which God dwells. He reveals his love through us. This is what's important. This is why I'm spending time talking about this. Because God is not here to, 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 to demonstrate his love like when he once was, when he walked the earth. And so the best way God's love can be demonstrated, because let's be frank, if I tell somebody that Jesus died for their sins, how can they prove that? 
How can you prove Jesus died for your sins? But I tell you what, if we demonstrate the love of God in the earth, then people can see that. That's tangible to them. They can't refute that because you are demonstrating love. This is why I'm spending time doing this because God wants us to reveal and demonstrate his love in the earth. He needs us to do that. In, as I close up here, 1 John, same 1 John we are reading, in, in verse 17, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Watch it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear had torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hate it, his brother, he is a liar. Christians lie. Tell your neighbor, Christians lie. And I don't have to get into all the other lie, but this lie I'm going to get into. Because we're we, we supposed to love our brother and sister, but people around here don't like people. For he that loveth not his brother whom he had seen, how can he love God whom he had not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. God wants to perfect in us his love for us, and our love for him. The word perfect carries the idea of maturity and completeness. So when you hear perfect, it's not telling you to be flawless. It's telling you to be mature and complete in love. A believer is not only to grow in grace and knowledge, but he or she is also to grow in his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves, am I growing in the love for Christ? My love for Christ. A Christian life is to be a daily experience of growing in the love of God. It involves a Christian's coming to know Jesus Christ in, in a much deeper way as he grows in love. So, here's what I'm saying. When you first start living for God, you don't really know the depths of God's love and you still are carrying your baggage of fear that you had when you didn't know God. So many Christians today, especially young Christians, when you read that scripture, that becomes a hard saying because the Bible says perfect love casts out fear, all fear. And so some of us are Christians and we're saying, I have fear. So what's wrong with me? Don't I have the love of God? There will be times where the love of God is in you and fear is in you. As a young Christian, the love of God will be in you. I heard, I heard, I heard from the Holy Ghost, many of us that's been around a long time, we've been in church a long time, but we're young. We're young Christians. We're young Christians. We've been saved for a long time, but we're young Christians. We've been in church for a long time, but we're young Christians. 
And so what happens is, this is how you know you're a young Christian. Because fear and love is prevalent in your life. So you're loving God, but you still have a lot of fear going on. And it's okay. I'm not telling you it's a bad thing. I'm telling you that you're just growing in your maturity, in your love for God. So it's okay. But you have to continue to grow. Because the ultimate is you get to the place where love is perfected, complete. Where now when you have complete understanding and depths of God's love and you loving him back, now no fear will do anything to you. Because death don't fear you. Because if I die, I go be with him. And guess what? I'm probably a whole lot better off when I die and go be with Christ because this world is a mess. So when you have perfect, when love has been perfected in you, you're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of the future. You're not afraid of struggles. You're not afraid of trial. You're not afraid of anything. There is nothing that will cause you to be fearful when love has been perfected in you. That's where we're trying to go. That's where God is trying to take us is perfecting love in us so nothing will matter. So we won't have to worry about if I go up and talk to somebody and try to share the love of God, they're going to disrespect me. They're going to tell me all kind of stuff and make me feel ashamed. I don't care. I don't care. At this juncture in my life, I don't know, I don't think love has been perfected completely in me, but it has gone a good ways. I told my mom many years, and I tell her all the time, I always remind her, can't nobody make me ashamed. Not even my adult kids. Now, the underage ones can make me feel some kind of way. Why? Because they're my responsibility. And how they look, my responsibility. How they speak, my responsibility. How they function in public, my responsibility. So that can make me feel some kind of way. Other than that, ain't nothing else making me feel no kind of way. Because love is in me, and this is about love to me. I'm not going to worry about what anyone else thinks. Remember, I told you all, you will get the victory the day you come to understand and embrace. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man, it sounds simple. We quote it all the time, but we don't really grasp it yet because when you grasp it it will take away all of the hesitation to move forward and do God's will. It will take away hesitation to come to the altar. It will take away hesitation to be a witness. It will take away hesitation to get involved in ministry because you're not worried about what anybody think about you because whatever you're doing, you're doing it unto the Lord. You're doing it because you love Him. You're doing it because you want to be a vessel that He works through so when love is really in you you don't care what nobody thinks you're just living for God you're just exemplifying God you're just expressing love you don't care but the more you care about what people think oh my goodness there's a whole lot of fear going on with a little bit of love and it's going to take you some time if you don't get to let God understand manifest to you his love it's going to take you a minute A minute. but when you have love in you and you understand it you ain't worried about none you ain't worried about none Ain't worry about nothing. So the more you're worried, the more you keep saying, ah, you know, and you're worried about how you look. That's fear. And fear have different dimensions of it. That's fear. And so we're moving around fearful. Ah, 
yeah, I want to be in a praise and worship, but people are going to be looking at me. Okay, so tell me what does that mean? What's your problem with people looking at you? If you're doing it because you love God and you want people to really get closer to God, who cares what anybody else think? Yeah, you know, I want to I want I want to do, you know, that ministry pastor, but I don't know. What you don't know? What are you afraid of? I learned the hard way, man. Y'all remember, some of you been around a long time. I remember the first time God allowed me to speak in front of people was giving the foreign missions report. And I got up in the church and I um, tried to pronounce a word that I still can't say. And everybody, when I came down, had something to say about me, couldn't say the word. And then some of them saying, man, you said a lot of arms, arms. But guess what? Didn't matter. I just love God that much. I'm still that way today. I can't worry about what you think about my speech. I can't worry about what you think about, you know, my enunciation. I can't really worry about that. I just do this because I love God. That's the only reason why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for any other reason. So if you see a little flaw, okay, I hear you. But that's not going to stop me because I'm just trying to please God. And I believe there's a lot of people that stuck where they are today and it's not God's will for you to be where you are, but you're there because you're worrying about what everybody else thinks. So you might have thought I was the crazy one that's pronouncing words that don't pronounce the way I was saying it. Man, he crazy for getting up there in front of people and not saying the right words. (laughs) I'll add this in. My pastor told me to get up and I don't know about you, whatever my pastor told me, I did. It's quiet up in here. Because this generation, y'all can't handle that. Y'all can't handle that. Whatever my pastor told me, I did it. Yep. And y'all sitting there saying, "Mm, different time, preacher. Okay. And you may never fulfill your purpose in God if you think like that. I trust that whoever the man of God that God put in my care, whoever he is, he is speaking on behalf of God. Forget about the man. I'm looking beyond the man. I'm looking at God saying, God, if you put this man in my life, I believe that you are speaking through him to me. And if he misrepresents you in any way, that's between you and him. But I'm trusting the words that you have given him to speak into my life. And guess what? I'm going to be what you call me to be, Lord. This generation, y'all, y'all don't listen. Y'all think this is some, you know, you're reading the sports page or, you know, you're reading some intellectual, you know, you're checking out the stocks and all that stuff. And you got all the intellect to try to dissect what's going on when all God is doing is just speaking to your heart. And God wants you to be submissive and to be obedient. I can go on and on. I just feel it's in the Holy Ghost. For some of us, that's going to lead ministry. Some of our ministries can't take off. You know why? Because what the pastor is telling you, you're not doing it. So how you're leading people, you will never lead them the right way because they won't follow you because you ain't following the pastor. This has nothing to do with me. This is experience that I've obtained in ministry and the Holy Ghost telling me to say this right now. 
that we can't move forward effectively if we're going to all try to sit there and figure out what we're going to believe what the man of God is saying or not believe or what we're going to do what the man of God is saying do or not do. I'm telling you there's some things some of y'all know because some of y'all did it. When my pastor said it, y'all was like, oh, I ain't doing that. And I was one of the ones that y'all said, Brother Wayne crazy. You think I don't know that? Probably even my wife said that and my two older boys. My dad crazy. My husband crazy. They probably said that. It's okay. I'm all right. I trust God. This has nothing to do with man. And that tells me where my relationship is or your relationship is with God. When you decide that I trust God enough that no man can mess up my life. (laughs) Some of y'all learn through me that that's true. No man can mess up my life. I don't care what the man says. I don't care what the man does. If I do my part, because I know what God has said, obey them that have the rule over you. He didn't say anything else about that. He says, obey them that have the rule over you. So what that means is, God, when I obey the man of God, you will see to it that I'm blessed. Obey them that have the rule. He didn't tell me to worry about how the man was living and what the man is saying, how how intelligent the man is, how deep the man is. He didn't get into none of that. He says, obey them that have the rule over you. And I did that. And today I'm standing here with a relationship with God that I never thought that I would ever have. But it's all through submission and obedience. I think I'm done. Because that was the Holy Ghost. Now, I, I, can't, I, I won't mess with the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost starts to talk to me, I ain't, talking to, I ain't talking about nothing else. Because the bottom line is, God is wanting to do great things in all of our lives. But we're making all these determinations of what we think we should do. And God is frowning on how we're conducting ourselves because we're deciding on our own what we should or shouldn't do. We think that we know when we don't know. The only way you know, I like how God has done his business because part of how you know is until you do what he tells you, you will not know what it will result. You might read it, but you will never know it for yourself until you do what the word says to do. And so God is calling us to let love take over in our life. And we have read the scripture That perfect love, when love is completed, when love is mature in us, we're not fearful of one thing. We're not worried about another thing. What'd you say? Let's go. Not worrying about another thing. Man, let's stand. I I just, I just, I remember, man, I never worried about anything. I remember when my first lady, she needed a car. (laughs) Y'all don't understand stuff like this, and y'all going to categorize it something else but it's up to you but my first lady needed a car because she she ran around and did a lot of stuff and she liked mercedes and i led the charge we gonna get her a mercedes and we did what we had to do and everything wasn't smooth but we did what we had to do and we got her a white mercedes and on mother's day we parked the white mercedes on the lawn in front of the church and brought her outside and she saw the white mercedes I didn't care if somebody was talking behind my back saying he crazy. They, they they doing all right. I don't know why he trying to get them no Mercedes. Didn't matter to me because I love God 
And because the love of God was being perfected in me, it didn't matter what nobody else think. I just know, obey them that have the rule over you. Take good care of them. Do what you got to do to demonstrate your love because love is not about lip service only. You can't just say you love only with your lips. You have to demonstrate that you love with the works that you do because that's what God did. He became man and he laid down his life that we may have life and have it that much more abundantly. We can't just talk about love. We got to be love. God in us, being expressed through us. That's love. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Uh, We want you to take over, Lord God. And Father, will you forgive us? For Lord, we have quenched the spirit of God in our life. We, Lord God, whether consciously or unconsciously, is being God in our own life, Lord. We're making all the calls in our life, Lord. And we're not allowing love to be perfected in us. But I pray in the name of Jesus that the word of God that has gone forth tonight, Lord, will take root in our heart, Lord God, and it will begin to grow and produce good fruit. That we will respond in obedience and submission to your word, Lord God. That we will allow you, Lord God, to guide us and to lead us. That we will give you free reign in our life, Lord. For we are not of ourselves, but you purchased us with your blood. We belong to you, Lord God. We have no more rights to do whatever we want to do, but Lord, you now have the rule in our life. You now, oh God, own us, and Lord, we are your people. We want your will to be done, Lord God. We want the word of God that has gone forth tonight to really do the work it's supposed to do in us, Lord God. We want the word of God to do the work. We want love to be perfected in us. We want love, Lord God, to reign supremely in us, Lord God. And Lord, you're not here in the flesh, but you have so many of us that walk around with you in us, Lord God. And we want to reveal the love of God in the earth. Will you use us, Lord God, individually, collectively to reveal the love of God in the earth, Lord, wherever we go, oh God, wherever we are, we want the love of God to be revealed, expressed in the life that we live, Lord God. Have your way in this church that every person in this church, Lord, will seek after and Lord, allow love to be perfected in them. We'll allow love, Lord God, to be expressed through them. Oh God, you've spoken to us. Help us, Lord Jesus, not to just take what we like and leave the rest of it, but Lord, that we may eat the word, all of it, Lord God, that we may digest the word, all of it, Lord, and that we will regurgitate the word, all of it, Lord God, to represent you, to do your will, to let the world know who our Jesus is, to let the world know how much you love them, to let the world know what you have done for them, to let the world understand what love really is all about. Oh, God, have your way in us. Oh, God, man. 
manifest your power, your glory, your love in us, Lord God, for we need your will to be done. We want to be your witnesses. We want to be your ambassadors. We want to be the vessels that you may work through. Have your way tonight, sweet Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for assembling us together, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to our heart and our soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we will not go out from this place without allowing you, Lord God, to have your way in us. We yield and we submit and we surrender. Oh, God, have your way tonight. Have your way tonight as we give you the praise, as we give you the honor. Oh, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you can, don't miss tomorrow night's service. We're here tomorrow at 730. It's going to be a powerful service. It's going to be a powerful service. Come tomorrow night. We're here at 730. Join us. Uh, it's a district service, our district camp service. Come and be with us. God is going to do some great things. Thank you for your time and your attention. God bless you. Give to our building fund tonight in Jesus' name.